we are going to be, um, as we have been all summer, in the book of Acts. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, um, you would be invited to turn to Acts chapter 10. Um, And the passage itself that we're looking at today is quite long, and so uh, there won't be an opportunity for for me to read it in its entirety. Um, I, I will give an overview of it in my message, but if you're familiar at all with the story of Peter and Cornelius um, in the book of Acts, or perhaps um, if that title doesn't ring a bell, um, there's this moment in which Peter the apostle is praying, and a sheet from heaven with animals on it uh, comes down in this vision that Peter is having in this moment of, of prayer, and to Peter, he sees this vision. God says, Peter, kill and eat these animals. And Peter says, well, I can't do that because some of the animals on this sheet are unclean. And God says profoundly, do not call unclean what God has made clean. It's a profound vision. And it prompts uh, Peter to be obedient to a uh, a series of events that's happening in the home of Cornelius, where Cornelius himself has a vision, sends for people to get Peter, and uh, Peter goes with, it's my best way to summarize two chapters of Scripture, Uh, what we're going to be elevating is one profound verse, and that's chapter 1034, verse 34, and we'll get to that in just a second, but It's a lovely story, and perhaps if you have time later this week to read it in its entirety, it would be Acts chapter 10 and 11, essentially. And it's a lovely, lovely story. And in my opinion, uh, these these paragraphs, these two chapters of Scripture, account for one of the most profound stories in the whole book. This is my opinion. But what takes place is really something else, is that God is communicating individually through two different visions to two remarkably different people. So let's begin with that. He's speaking to Cornelius, who the Scriptures tell us is a God-honoring military official, which really stretches our imagination of Who can honor God in the first place, right? We have a military official, so all all of a sudden our imaginations are are stretched already. And Peter, who is the main voice for the first movement of the followers of the way of Jesus. Opposite ends of any spectrum that you could possibly imagine. God is speaking to them, and he's about to bring them together. Cornelius sends officers to bring Peter to him. Peter's vision that we just talked about a moment ago brings clarity and informs him to go see Cornelius. In the same manner and with the same risks that Ananias was sent to visit Saul. You may recall this story a few weeks ago. We talked about Ananias visiting Saul, which eventually would lead to his conversion, eventually receiving a new name, that being Paul. But the same risks that Ananias faced when he was told by God to go see this military official, Peter faces those same risks to walk into this house, but he goes anyways. 
There are so many layers to this story. There are so many parallels to other biblical accounts in both the Old and New Testament. And there is so much beauty in the resolve of this story, which is so wonderfully outlined in Acts chapter 11. However, our time here, I think, would be wasted if we did not focus on arguably one of the most profound sentences spoken within this profound story. And it's from the heart and it's from the mind of Peter as Peter is processing this whirlwind of emotion and this, this narrative that he's now a part of, this storyline that he could have never dreamed of, bubbles up to the surface and out of Peter's mouth is what we read in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, where Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Massive implications to that sentence. Peter now realizes how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Although the actual message of those words has been true since the creation of humankind, that meaning that we believe that God created all people in God's image, not in different images. This image, God creates people in God's image here, but a different image there. No, this has been true since the beginning that God has created all people in his image we need to realize that the notion of God's willingness and ability to look upon all peoples with an equal level of love and justice and mercy uniquely and significantly distinguishes Yahweh among the natures of other gods that are worshipped by other peoples. In this time in which these words were spoken, where, where Greek, what we call Greek mythology, but it's just Greek culture in this moment in history, where there are gods for so many different things, where are, there are different religions bubbling up with different deities, the Christian God, the God of the Jews, Yahweh, to have the ability to look upon all peoples with an equal love and not show favoritism puts God on a completely different level than any of the other gods. And so, not only is this sentence profound for us today, it was immensely profound in ways that I really can't even communicate when they were first truly spoken and understood by Peter who, as we read in the Gospel of Luke, months ago <laughs> was ready to call fire down from heaven on the Samaritans, now finally sees that God doesn't show favoritism, and maybe there isn't a reason to rain fire down on people. Finally, Peter. <laughs> this is a key nature of God that would become a foundational principle in Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, and a central theme in his letters in the New Testament 
For example, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, you may be familiar, there's neither slave nor free, man nor woman, Jew nor Gentile, for all are one in Christ Jesus. This idea of a lack of favoritism, where there is no favoritism shown, becomes a central theme of what it means to be a Christian. Allow me a moment to speak plainly and honestly. If you're my Facebook friend, you saw this a few days ago. A God that does not show favoritism is good news for some, but it is bad news for others. A God that does not show favoritism, a God that does not even have the ability to show favoritism, is good news for some and bad news for others. It's good news for the ones that have been neglected by the world around them. It's good news for those who have been intentionally cut off from certain amenities and opportunities at the hands of others. It is good news for those who have been told in both word and deed that they are less than. It is good news for the humble. And it is good news for the one who realizes that when it comes to being offered God's love, they are no different than anyone else. These people are more like God than they think. And they are closer to God than the world thinks. A God that does not show favoritism is bad news for those who, in order to operate, require the presence of others below them. A God that does not show favoritism is bad news for the proud. It is bad news for the oppressor. It is bad news for the one who lords their power over others. These people are less like God than they think. And these people are farther from God than the world thinks. On the surface, it may seem that showing favoritism between people is a victimless act. That is to ask hypothetically, how bad can picking between two people really be? Ready for the dictionary definition of favoritism? I don't often share dictionary definitions of words. I got to share this one. By definition, favoritism is the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. So by its nature, by the very definition, it is giving preferential treatment to one group, but not just doing that, that decision in and of itself goes completely against another group at the expense of another group. 
what I have seen in the world around me is cloaking acts of favoritism under the guise of selecting what we most want or simply making a decision that is most natural or one that I have made, someone has made, a thousand times before. Because there's no harm in that, right? There's no harm in doing what's natural. There's no harm in doing what I was told to do. Just do it. And I think what's actually happening, when I see that happen in the world around me, I think what's happening more often is that we are making decisions against others. This is why I believe that, is because a lot of people know what they don't want. And so many people know what they don't believe. We know what we are against. But what I see more and more is that there are far fewer people that actually know what they want. There are far fewer people who actually know what they believe, who actually know what they are for. I'm going to make up a word here. I see far too much against-ism in the world. I see profoundly little for-ism. If there is no sin in God, and if God does not show favoritism, then acts of favoritism are sinful acts. Slavery was and is favoritism, and it is sin. Stop and frisk is favoritism, and it is sin. Racism and segregation is favoritism, and it is sin. And I mean in all of its forms. Redlining is favoritism, and it is sin. Intentionally avoiding a person or place, I'm saying intentionally, is favoritism, and it's sin. The cultural reality of favoritism in this world makes it increasingly difficult to imagine a God and a God's kingdom that does not show favoritism in any way. It is impossible. It is darn near impossible to actually believe that this is true about God is because we have absolutely no comprehension in the world around us of a world without favoritism. It's everywhere. However, if it is your heart's desire to see God's kingdom be done on earth as it is in heaven, then it would be up to the people of God, us, to actively seek out and practice opportunities to join God in not showing favoritism. It would also be right of God's people, us, to call out 
and rejects practices of favoritism. And it would be right of us to work and see those systems and decisions changed. This begins with a desire. A desire. This begins with actually wanting people to not be treated differently for foolish and petty and dumb reasons. It begins with actually wanting for that to happen. You, at your core, you desire more than anything. You want to see more than anything. For people, I'm talking in this world, in the eyes of other people. We know where God is with this. At your core to desire there to not be favoritism. If you want to see that done on this earth as it is in heaven, you have got to start with a desire. And if you don't have that desire, it's okay. But it's not going to be okay for long. <laughs> Because God's kingdom is coming. And in fact, it is breaking in among us right now. And I don't want these people to be uncomfortable and surprised when the last start becoming first. What a poor job I would be doing as a pastor. If I didn't prepare anyone who's willing to hear me, I don't want you to be surprised when the last are first and when the first become last. I don't want us to be surprised. I don't want us to be offended. I don't want us to be appalled. I don't want us to be unprepared. It's got to start with a desire and the move from a desire to an action, that move, the move from a desire to an action is massive. It's huge. And it can really only be done through a full submission to God's work and authority in our lives. If you're familiar at all with uh, the, the Church of the Nazarene, a lot of us are. We're, we're in a Nazarene church right now. And we have this beautiful idea that was gifted to us by Nazarenes before us. It's this concept and idea of entire sanctification. You may or may not be familiar with those words. But what's happening in this moment of sanctification, which is not a concept foreign to the Scriptures or other denominations, but the reason we elevate it in our denomination is because we actually believe, this is an example, we actually believe in the dream of no favoritism. <laughs> We actually believe in that possibility. That is to say, we believe that the Holy Spirit can do such a profound work in our lives that we can actually be free from the sin of favoritism. We believe that. Now, it's because of what God does, not what we do. That's true for everything. But perhaps there is one Thing that is required of us. And that is opening ourselves up. 
That is allowing us to be vulnerable. And that is allowing ourselves to do something which is increasingly difficult, and that is to admit to one's self that maybe I have not been seeing as clearly as I have needed to be seen. It's a big thing to do. But that's what it requires. So this vision that God gives Peter. Go back and read this story because what you're going to find when you read this story tonight or later this week is that this vision that God gives to Peter is not a vision that makes Peter confront his sin. That's not what's happening. This vision that God gives opens up Peter's imagination for what is possible in the kingdom of God. It's opening up pathways, it's opening up doors that have never been opened before. This vision given to Peter says, in a way, the way in which things have been done before, things like avoiding certain peoples, making certain decisions, never really addressing a preconceived notion, This does not need to be the way that things operate now. That's what this vision says. God's vision to Peter is not get on board or get out. It's look what's possible. So let us desire for such a vision. Let us desire in an August 16th of an election year. Let us desire in a season of life where there are far more headlines, far more posts, to have a vision that says, child of God, You can think in a bigger way. A vision that says, child of God, when you see video footage of that person doing that, as wrong as you may think it is, or as wrong as it may objectively be, even they are going to be around that same table that you are. Even they are being ushered into that same kingdom that we are. And even when we don't have a framework to comprehend the implications of such a pivot, I'm saying when you get a vision, and when you have a daydream, and when you have a thought that you've never had before, a vision you've never seen before, that has implications that you cannot comprehend a new framework around, just like Peter, to hear the words that God has called these things in which I have thought were unclean, but in fact, he calls them clean. Imagine how much relearning Peter had to do after hearing that. In a world that was entrenched with favoritism, imagine how much relearning Peter and those who wanted to follow Jesus had to do 
in order to live their lives in such a way in which there was no favoritism. So when you get such a vision, only after you desire it, we have got to entrust ourselves to the Spirit of God. It's all we can do. I'm not going to be able to help you when that vision comes, except to say, did God give you the vision? Does the vision fall somewhat in line with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself? Okay, it did. All right, well, God's going to help you. So, Lord, give us such a vision. Lord, give us a moment tonight, this week, this afternoon, to pause. The Scriptures tell us that Peter was in a trance. The Scriptures tell us that Peter was so still, he was so quiet, he was so disconnected from the distractions around him, he put himself into that position. And when he was able to do that, you spoke words that have been ringing since the minute they were spoken. That you don't call anything unclean. And that you, Lord, do not show favoritism. Allow these truths, whether we can comprehend them or not, whether we agree with them or not, whether we desire them or not, they are truth. Your word says they are truth. So help us in our disbelief. Help us in our inability. Help us in our resistance. Lord, if the world that I'm witnessing right now, if the world that I'm observing right now needs anything from me, it is not to know what I am against, but it is to know what I am for. It is to know the complete, seemingly impossibility of what a life looks like in which favoritism is not shown. Allow us to shine such a light. Allow us to scatter such seeds. Allow us to achieve that flavor of salt. For we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are seed scatterers. Lord, we desire a vision. By the power of your Holy Spirit, in line and in step with the vulnerability in which we are able to display. Give us a vision. Help us see things that are so impossible to be found 
in the world around us. But we believe that your kingdom on earth, as it is in heaven, makes these things true. Lord, I want to be made uncomfortable now so I'm not uncomfortable in the life to come. Lord, make us uncomfortable now so that we're not surprised when your spirit lifts up the last. Make us uncomfortable now so that we're not offended and taken off guard when the people that we would least expect to receive your love start receiving your love like a river of justice that just flows and the tide is rising. I want us to be uncomfortable now so that we're ready for the life to come. And Lord, give us a desire. Give us a desire to see that now, in our world now. On our streets, in our workplaces, in our own homes, in our own neighborhoods and cities, wherever they are, give us a desire to see that now, where favoritism is not a way of the world and it is no longer a pattern. It is no longer an instinct. Lord, we trust you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.